Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Content Director for ACG's Media Group. I'm joined today by two guests from QBE North America to talk about how to protect a business with contractual risk transfer. Joining me are Tom Lysot, Senior Vice President, Head of Property and Casualty Claims, and Bobby Steinstorfer, Senior Vice President, Middle Market PNC Underwriting. QBE North America is also the sponsor of today's episode. Tom and Bobby, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Katie. Hey, Katie, yeah, thanks for having us. So I want to kick it off um, by asking each of you just to talk a little bit about your role at QBE and how it intersects with our discussion topic of contractual risk transfer. So Tom, you want to take that first? Sure. Thank you. So as Katie mentioned, I'm the head of property and casualty claims for QBE North America. I manage the claim professionals who are handling auto, general liability, and property claims. I'm also a licensed attorney, and I've been in the business for over 35 years. So particularly with respects general liability claims, the potential for contractual risk transfer, whether in favor of or against our customers, is a routine question that our claim professionals deal with on a daily basis. It can really make the difference in terms of our customers' ultimate exposure relative to a particular claim or piece of litigation. Great. And what about you, Bobby? Yeah. So my name is Bobby Steinsdorfer, and I lead the middle market business segment for the eastern half of the United States here at QBE, uh, responsible for the geographic strategy and the execution, working with brokers and customers externally, working with the underwriting sales team, working with our claims, loss control, and actuarial teams internally. Uh, to make sure that we're helping our clients be more resilient. When you think about contractual risk transfer specifically, where Tom sees the outcomes of the policy that me and my team put on the into the portfolio, we really are focused on that on an upfront basis, working with our clients and working with our brokers to educate them on the process, working on with our underwriters on the risk selection, looking at the the terms that are in those uh, programs. Uh, and then that 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 plays into our pricing and modeling uh, in our overall just execution. So you now we see it on the front end and you know excited to be here to talk about it today. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that background. Um, you know the the next thing I wanted to go to was just um an overview on what contractual risk transfer is and in case anyone out there needs a a refresher. So I'll take that, Katie. So insurance coverage is the most basic form of contractual risk transfer and allows you to better protect your business from the risks under your direct management and control. But for greater protection, you can also shift liability for a loss by contract to the other party to the contract, which is typically a vendor or a contractor, who generally should be in the best position to control and manage the particular risks associated with their work. If done right, contractual risk transfer can reduce the amounts your company may be required to pay in the event of a loss, which improves your loss history and may mitigate any future premium increases down the road. An effective contractual risk transfer strategy is part of a comprehensive and disciplined approach to enterprise risk management. And we'll get into some specific examples a little bit later, but before that, Bobby, I wanted to ask, you know, why this is an especially important topic right now. Contractual risk transfer is I would, you know, would say has always been important. It's, I think it's a good spot to have clarity anytime where you have liability, where that resides, removing that uncertainty from the process is important. 
Well, we're probably seeing three things over the last couple of years and specifically, you know, coming into 2023 that I think really, really heightened the uh, conversation around it. One is around litigation. We've seen the risk of being sued increase and not just for large Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies, but all the way through um, customer profile sizes. Secondly, the cost of that has increased. There was a what in Wall Street Journal done, you know, that looked at, I think it was around, um, you know, 16 to 20, somewhere in that time frame, that the cost had increased 7% each year. And that doesn't account for the inflation rates that we've been taking over this last year that summer forecasting will continue into 2023 that are driving up the cost of litigation. And then third is the magnitude of the settlements. The size of jury awards and settlements have increased rapidly due to both social and just claims inflation. And if I had a fourth, as I look at the market, you know, there's a lot of conversation out there around capacity, what's going to be available to clients, right, from an insurance perspective, pricing impacts that are going to come out of some of the events that have happened over the last few years. Really important to have good risk management practices to ensure you're in the best position to partner with your broker, partner with your carriers. You can get potentially better terms, better pricing, or just put yourself equal with your peer group. But obviously, you want to differentiate yourself from your peer group and show that your business is doing things that uh, are controlling costs and controlling their um, liability. And Tom, can you walk us through the different types or levels of contractual risk transfer? Certainly. So there are multiple levels or layers of contractual risk transfer from basic to advanced, or as you might say, from good to great. So the first level of contractual risk transfer is a requirement that the other contracting party, which again will typically be a vendor or a contractor, agrees to indemnify and defend and hold harmless your company in the event of a loss. And that language should be as broad as possible to maximize your protection and should also include a waiver of subrogation. In addition, the next level requires the other party to maintain specific amounts of insurance coverage to respond to a loss and provide you with a certificate of insurance documenting that coverage, including coverage for both operations and completed operations. That provision should require a minimum amount of coverage sufficient to cover the potential loss or be stated in terms of at least that specified dollar amount versus a set figure. So. And I think uh, Bobby and I would agree that, you know, traditionally that figure has been a million dollars. I think a million dollars isn't what it used to be. And so we probably want to see minimum coverages that are above that amount. And I would also add that if you, if you say at least $2 million, for example, and the other party has coverage up to $10 million, you arguably have uh, that entire $10 million available to you versus a specific amount. So... Bobby, uh, any comments? Yeah, no, we're seeing that a lot, both from, um, you know, excess and umbrella markets, but also from, uh, you know, where reinsurance pricing is coming in. Those attachment points have been moving up, you know, 2 million for non-construction, 5 million for construction. As you said, those are just minimums. You ideally want your partners and yourself to carry more, but the minimums have moved up. It's, you know, it was kind of static from the 1980s on, and we're, we're trying to push those limits up due to some of the factors that I was outlining earlier. Yeah, thanks, Bobby. I, I would also note that if your vendor or contractor has insufficient limits to cover a potential loss, the plaintiff will look to your company and your insurance coverage to cover that claim. 
And given the magnitude of jury verdicts these days, as, as Bobby mentioned earlier, that is a very real possibility. So moving on, the next level of protection, or what I would call the, you know, the great level of protection, requires the other party to the contract to name your company as an additional insured under their policy, which provides you with yet another source of insurance coverage in the event of a loss. That provision should also require the coverage be on a primary and non-contributory basis to maximize the coverage available to your company and mitigate the potential impact to your own insurance coverage. So, Katie, that's uh, from good to great, the levels of protection for contractual risk transfer. Yeah, no, that's helpful for understanding this. And I think, you know, building off of this, what would you say are other best practices related to contractual risk transfer that business leaders need to keep in mind? So in addition to the various levels of uh, contract protection that I just mentioned, there are other best practices that will ensure that you have the most effective program in place. So first off, it is critical that your contracts be drafted or reviewed by an experienced insurance or contract attorney with deep expertise relative to contractual risk transfer. To have an effective program, you need competent legal counsel, whether that's internal counsel or outside counsel. Simply put, poorly written contracts or contracts that do not comply with the laws of a particular state will not give you the protection you desire. In addition, your company should have an effective contract management process or system in place to ensure that all contracts are fully and properly executed prior to the commencement of work, that all certificates of insurance or additional insured endorsements are received and are in good order, and that all pertinent documents are properly filed so that you may easily locate them when needed. It should also be noted that many contractual identification provisions and additional insured endorsements require that the contract be fully executed prior to the date of the accident in order to be effective. That is often a condition precedent to the contractual and insurance protections your company desires. As such, no work should be allowed to commence unless the contract is fully executed and all other requirements have been met, including the receipt of the desired certificate of insurance. Your contractual risk management strategy can fall apart if one or more of these best practices are not in place, so it is imperative that you have all those bases covered. Like I said earlier, I've been in the business for over 35 years, and I've seen situations where contractual risk transfer has worked exactly as intended, and unfortunately, I've also seen many situations where it has not, and that has typically been due to poorly written contracts, non-compliant contracts, or lack of discipline around the execution and management of contracts and documents in general. And as a business who is working with vendors or subcontractors and evaluating new new partners to work with, what are some of the things to look for in a vendor in order to get comfortable that they're taking risk management seriously? Yeah, I can jump on this and I may marry this up with some of the consequences as well, uh, as you were just alluding to, Tom. When we, right, I say we, but I think about myself as the you know, same business owner, right? If I can put myself in the shoes of our, our clients and customers, as they think about um, what their partners are doing, you know, it's really important for them to hold the same standards that they would have themselves. As Tom listed, there's a bunch of things that you can control from the contract language, but then it's in the execution and the practices that need to come through. And you're relying on those other parties to deliver on their side of the promise. 
So really holding them to those same same levels. I think, again, as we talk about the best practices that you can put into yourself, looking for your partners to create that consistent, repeatable process. So if you're doing multiple contracts with them, um, you create consistency in that. Or if you're doing year-over-year reviews with them, you take out some of that variability. And you've heard me say that a couple of times, anytime you can move that from any legal process is beneficial. And then that they understand, so educating them, that they understand the importance uh, of the relationship, um, you know, taking it outside the piece of paper and um, making sure that they're managing their risk appropriately. And you probably can see that in a bunch of different facets, but the, the key is, again, making sure that you know who you're working with, that they value the same thing you do in the you know, risk management process. And is there an example or two that you can give of the consequences of you know selecting a vendor that isn't taking these things as seriously as they should be or, or maybe not following some of the best practices that were laid out earlier? What can yeah. go wrong here? No, and as, as Tom said, it can be missed across the process, both in terms of the contract language but a lot of times we see a lot of diligence put on the contract side of it. Again, as Tom said, you have lawyers involved, internal or external, you have your broker partners. A lot of people are focused on that part of the, like you could say value chain. And then it's really in the execution. And I guess that's normal for a lot of stuff, right? Uh, you put people in the mix and, and what happens after that. But we've seen a lot of those in that part. So I'll give you a couple of examples. You know, we've seen things, if you use the contract side, again, where it would be not good at all, like handshake agreements, because it's with a you know an acquaintance or someone you've worked with, um, we've seen things um, where you have the contract in place, but an unsigned purchase order with no language on the back. So maybe a small scale project versus some big capital event that you're working on. Um, it may be something as simple as changing a light bulb in a in a hallway or uh, coming in to check an IT system, and you have an unsigned purchase order, or as Tom said, the contract's not being executed in advance. So if I think about some of the impacts of that, I'll kind of talk about from a business and then an insurance perspective. So if you think about the business impact, two things come to my mind right away. One is that if the contractual risk transfer isn't in place and there is a claim, you may get pulled into something that you were expecting to shift to another party. And now you have to put time, resources, focus on that when you thought you were passing that off to another partner, which takes you away from your business priorities. A second part of that is most likely in these scenarios, you are passing on profit or, or revenue to a party to do this work for you, whether that be snow removal, delivery services we're seeing in our uh, restaurant clients, or just a, you know, a subcontractor. And you're passing on um, that money to them, but you also want to pass on the risk. And if that contract's not executed appropriately, you've missed out on that, the value in that exchange. So again, getting that to the right party so that you can focus on your business priorities, I think is critical. And I had one example where, you know, a guy had a, um, you know, purchase order, they came in and they didn't have it executed and a, a person got injured, you know, under New York labor law, which has its unique scenarios as well, but they ended up taking on that claim and taking that cost when that should have been passed to the subcontractor. Contracts were good. Management th thought they had all the right things in place. And again, you have multiple entities. It didn't get passed through at the, the local um, execution, as I was mentioning earlier. So that impact on insurance, I'm, I won't speak about that specific client, but you know things like that can happen of non-renewal, right? Pricing impacts that happen to you, significant rate increases if that cost isn't passed on. Uh, adjustments at audit, if you don't have the right classifications or, or code specifically in construction for subcontractors, 
So that may be a surprise cost to you that hits your balance sheet when you weren't uh, accruing for that. So that uncertainty in cash flow can really be an impact or just uncertainty in um, you know having access to markets. So I think, you know, again, there's a lot of uh you know, probably a lot of horror stories out there, a lot of uh, things that people have seen fall down, but those are just a couple that, that come to the top of my mind and the impact that can happen. Mm-hmm. And can you also speak to some of the potential legal consequences of not taking risk transfer seriously or putting a discipline process in place? Yeah, certainly. So obviously, if you don't have the right process in place and litigation is filed or a claim is presented, you may be on the hook. So if the other party, if, you're, if the party that you've contracted with doesn't have sufficient coverage, you may be on the hook. If the contractual risk transfer wasn't done correctly, or as Bobby alluded to, you have an unsigned purchase order or something else, the plaintiff will be certainly looking to you, the person that has coverage, it's perhaps the deep pockets for coverage for that particular claim. And so if you don't have these disciplines in place, the you know cost of poker is higher for your company and your litigation costs are going to be higher. Uh, You may be paying a higher percentage of the settlement. Ultimately Um, that's greater liability to your company. And uh, which as Bobby has alluded to can have an adverse impact on your loss history and ultimately on your uh, premiums. And if I think about there, Katie, as well, I mean, an impact on financial side, sure. um, But also an impact on brand and reputation, which then can have a subsequent impact on, your balance sheet. But again, really, if you're trying to push that risk to people that can control it and do it well, you don't want that coming back on on your company, right? And being in the news. Um, we've seen that a couple of times. So for us, I think that's that's a, a key part of it, getting it again to the right spot to make sure that that your relationships with your partners, your consum- you know, customers, your consumers, whatever business you're in, aren't negatively impacted. Attorney review was mentioned earlier in the conversation, but I want to come back to that and ask you to talk about why it's so important to have an experienced attorney draft and review the insurance contracts. So we must always remember that even the best indemnification clauses may ultimately be deemed unenforceable for a variety of reasons. Many states have some form of anti-indemnity legislation that may limit or prohibit entirely contractual indemnification agreements, especially as respects your ability to transfer your company's independent negligence and liability to the other party to the contract. To avoid having those provisions nullified in their entirety due to such legislation, attorneys often recommend that the indemnification provision should include a savings clause, which is typically the language in quotes, to the extent permitted by law or to the maximum extent permitted by law. Those magic words will usually be the first words in the contractual identification provision and will help ensure the broadest possible level of protection for your company under that state's law. I would add that the statutes and case law relating to contractual risk transfer can vary significantly from state to state. So obtaining the best protection can be a bit complicated And there is certainly not a one-size-fits-all approach that covers multiple states. As such, the advice of experienced legal professional, legal counsel with the necessary expertise, whether that's your in-house attorney or an outside firm, as well as your insurance agent or broker, is absolutely essential to best position your company to successfully shift liability to the other party uh, to the contract. As such, we strongly recommend 
that you discuss all contracts with a qualified business or insurance coverage attorney to optimize your contractual risk management strategy. Your counsel can also help you construct the workflows and processes required to make your program as effective as possible. And if I can just add here, I mean, obviously you have the legal imp impacts, but there's also a lot of practical impacts. And, I, and what I'll explain there is we work with a lot of private equity companies and the portfolio companies underneath them. And, you know, this year I'll use an example. We had a company go through, you know, like 15 bolt-ons. And so that's a lot of contracts to go through and make sure that that's going through the whole chain. So as you pick up a new entity, um, you know, you're looking at cash flow statements, you're looking at their geographic makeup, whatever key priorities you're looking at as a business owner, making sure that someone has your back and is looking at the contracts that are going through that. So as you pick those up, making sure you may have specific insurance obligations that you need to fulfill, making sure that all of your new companies um, and the vendors that they're working with or the partners that they're working with are also doing that. So it has a legal impact, but also um, just, a, you know, again, a lot of work that could impact other areas that may not be top of mind when you're going through that initial due diligence uh, and acquisition. Okay, so we want to get an experienced attorney involved, but what should a company do if it's asked to provide indemnification or additional insured status to another party? That's a great question, and that happens quite often. So as you said, sometimes an insured will be, or a customer will be on the receiving end of contractual risk transfer because they are the vendor or they are the contractor to someone else. And it is important that you consult with your attorney as well as your agent or broker to evaluate precisely what your company is being asked to provide under the contract and how that may ultimately impact your business. So when you assume liability under a contract, first off, make sure you double check with your insurance agents or broker to ensure that you have the right coverage in place to comply with the terms of the indemnification and insurance provisions in the contract. Otherwise, you may be in breach of the contract and required to cover the additional exposure and costs out of your own pocket. Furthermore, by agreeing to indemnify and or provide additional insured status to another party, you are potentially increasing your company's liability from a loss, reducing the coverage available to address your company's independent liability, increasing your company's overall exposure and costs, and negatively impacting your company's loss experience. And ultimately, a negative loss experience, loss history can affect your insurance premium. So considering all of that, it's important that you carefully weigh the anticipated benefits to be obtained by the contract, you know, what's the business opportunity, against the potential additional exposure and cost to your company if a loss occurs. So all things considered, is it really worth it? Yeah, and Tom, I, you know, I really appreciate you giving a shout out to Enterprise Risk Management there a little bit, you know, and bringing the parties in early on. Um, you talk about legal, you talk about compliance, you talk about your risk team. As you're asked to do things, what are the ramifications that has on your insurance program? What are the ramifications that has on cost? And, um, you know, like you said, is it is it worth it at the end of the day? And that's where I think you're really, you know, sound brokers and insurance partners come into play. Um, so appreciate that. So as we close out here, I, I want to ask each of you to give listeners one key takeaway that you would want them to walk away from this conversation with. Well, I'll start. So as a lawyer, I would say get a lawyer. I think it's important, whether this is your in-house counsel or outside counsel, and whether it's looking at a new contract 
or helping you work to develop the appropriate language for your contracts, or just to take a fresh look at your entire program and proactively identify and address any gaps you may have. An attorney, a qualified attorney, as well as your insurance agent and broker, will certainly help make sure that you have the best program in place to optimize the protection for your company to shift liability to the other party, who, again, is in the best position or should be in the best position to mitigate that risk. Yeah, I would share some of that. I mean, I, I know that probably contractual risk transfer is not the number one thing on you know, people's mind and maybe what you know they're super passionate about. And that's what insurance partners are here to do, right? And, and legal partners are here to help them navigate that. Um, but again, seeing the importance and value in it, as Tom just said, getting a, you know that health check, going through that, making sure your limits are adequate, that you know any new partner, new company that you brought on in the last couple months uh, meets your expectations. And I think it's attributed to, you know, JFK, you know, the, I'll paraphrase a little bit, but it's, you know, like fix the roof while it's you know shining, right? So when you're not in the middle of a claim, when you're not in the middle of some other macro event that's going on, take the time to, to plan and prepare for that um, and avoid the additional stress and, and challenges that come along with just a claim in general that impact people, communities, lives. Um, so, you know, plan for the uncertain. Um, and we know we're kind of living in an uncertain, um, you know, macro environment uh, every day. So that'd be my my ask and, uh, you know, push to the, the folks out there. All right. So get a good qualified attorney and get your house in order before there's an emergency. Thank you both for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, Katie. Thanks a lot, Katie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or on Spotify to make sure you never miss an episode. And if you liked what you heard today, please give us a rating and write a review. It really does go a long way in helping other listeners find out about us. This podcast is produced by the Association for Corporate Growth, the largest membership association for middle market M&A and corporate growth professionals. We host networking events across the world. We publish magazines and special reports and much, much more. Learn more about the benefits of membership at acg.org and consider joining us as a member. Last thing, if there is a topic you want to hear us talk about on this podcast, a guest you think would be great, or even if you just have some general feedback you want to share, we would love to hear about it. Please send us a note to editor at acg.org. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening.